Hey, you're listening to Guat Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission? You got it. Say it with me. Advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Hey, this is Season 16, Episode 341, Title, Cognitive Dissonance. Subtitle, When Your Beliefs Don't Line Up With Your Actions. Dissonance is a noun. In music, it means a lack of harmony among musical notes. From the Latin meaning disagreeing in sound. Synonyms for dissonance are discord, discrepancy, disparity, dissension, incongruity, and antagonism. In music, dissonance provides artistic tension that will usually resolve somewhere down the line in the musical piece. A simple example of auditory dissonance is a baby crying, a person screaming, or an alarm sounding off. Or as I wrote this devotional in my devotional place behind my tool shed that I call Under the Pines, I was seeking solitude in that special place, and there in the background, the sound of gas-powered zero-turn mowers. They're big, zero-turn mowers, weed eaters, and blowers, all creating a strong sense of dissonance that wrecked my solitude. As the dissonance occurred, it began to make me feel like the mower man was just going in circles in the backyard behind me. It's uncanny how often the people around me seem to have the mower man out. It's not all the time. But the cognitive dissonance that occurs when I'm trying to meditate with the Lord can rise to a sense in the midst of it that it's annoyingly happening all the time every time I go under the pines to pray, meditate, and study. That is the impact of auditory dissonance. It sticks in your brain. Where did the term cognitive dissonance come from? How did the definition of the term dissonance grow beyond its musical sense or auditory-related sense? Psychologist Leon Festinger in 1957 coined the term at the conclusion of a groundbreaking experiment. Quoting Psycom.net, Festinger's theory showed that people need consistency between their attitudes and behaviors, even though achieving that balance isn't always accomplished in a rational way. Let me read that point again. Festinger's theory showed that people need consistency between their attitudes and behaviors, even though achieving that balance isn't always accomplished in a rational way. Performing a task that's inconsistent with someone's beliefs is known as forced compliance. And to reconcile the inconsistent behavior with their beliefs, they reduce the dissonance they feel by changing their attitude towards the action. Now, that's in quote. So this is what Festinger found out through scientific study, is that performing a task that's inconsistent with someone's beliefs is known as forced compliance. And to reconcile the inconsistent behavior with their beliefs They reduce the dissonance they feel by changing their attitude towards the action. Now, keep that in mind. What is the simplest way to define cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance is a mental conflict that occurs when your beliefs don't line up with your actions, a discrepancy between what your internal values are and what you feel in the moment. It's an uncomfortable state of mind when someone has contradictory values attitudes, or perspectives about the same thing. Cognitive dissonance can cause discomfort, stress, and anxiety, and the degree of these effects often depends on how much disparity there is between the conflicting beliefs, how much the beliefs mean to that person, as well as with how well the person copes with self-contradiction. My friend, this is another key thought to keep in mind, this problem of self-contradiction. The Bible calls it being a hypocrite, being a two-faced person, A person who claims or pretends to have certain beliefs about what is right, but who behaves in a way that disagrees with those beliefs. 
The word hypocrite ultimately came into English from the Greek, and it means an actor, a stage player. The Greek word itself is a compound noun. It's made up of two Greek words that literally translate as an interpreter from underneath. The actors in ancient Greek theater wore large masks to mark which character they were playing, and so they interpreted the story from underneath their masks. On the National Center for Biotechnology Information, that's NCBI website, and this is a federal government website, there's an article from September 27, 2014 titled, Asymmetries and Perceptions of Self and Others' Hypocrisy, Rethinking the Meaning and Perception of the Construct. My friend, let me stop right here and point out that when the federal government, a secular entity, a non-religious entity, is giving attention to the study of hypocrisy, that tells you this is something that needs our attention. This tells me that this is not just a subject that the church-going people discuss. The article identified four forms of hypocrisy that should emerge in perceptions of self and others' hypocrisy. Here they are, inconsistency, pretense, blame, and complacency. I think it's important to look at these because it gives us some insight into how cognitive dissonance occurs in our lives. And we're looking at this from a spiritual standpoint, but listen to this. These four main categories provide to us a good starting point of self-evaluation regarding coming to grips with any cognitive dissonance we have in our own lives and how we can repent, get in line with God's way of thinking, and enjoy the life of peace and great fulfillment that He intends for each of us. My friend, God does not want any person to live in self-conflict. God doesn't want any person to live where they're one way on the inside and they're another way on the outside. It does not work. So the first manifestation, this form of hypocrisy that can erode who we are and destroy our inner peace, is inconsistency. Our internal core is static, conflict, distortion, that creates an erratic wave pattern to borrow a term from sound. This inconsistency, this conflict, this distortion. And so I ask the question to each of us today, do we struggle with inconsistencies in our life? My friend, if we do, we need to drill down on the disconnect between our core and our actions. The second manifestation is pretense. That means the quality of being pretentious. That means behaving or speaking in such a manner as to create a false appearance of great importance or worth. Other synonyms are largeness, pretentiousness, Antonyms, which means it gives us an idea of the opposite of this pretense. So in other words, if we look at this word pretense and say, am I manifesting qualities of being a pretentious person? That's not the manifestation of God's Holy Spirit at work in your life. But what would it look like if God got involved in your life and we abdicated that sense of pretension in our core? So what would that look like? It would be being unpretentious the quality of being natural and without pretension. I ask you the question, are we truthful and accurate about who we are to others? Are we out to be somebody rather than being natural and without pretension? Another manifestation of this hypocrisy, blame. Another way of saying that is criticism, accusation, attack, castigation, censure, charge, chiding, complaint, denunciation. And my friend, I'm going over these because I want you to tap into the fact these give us insight as to where we are being eroded from the inside out. Do we see ourselves in these descriptive words? Disapproval, disfavor, disparagement. Have you ever been around someone who has always has a disparaging word to speak? 
impeaching words, implications, imputation, incrimination, indictment, opposition, someone who always takes the opposite position, rebuke, reprimand, reproach, reproof, slur, tirades. My friend, these are manifestations that we are in conflict in our souls to where it's coming to the outside of our being, but the internal dissonance will not continue to stand. We will seek resolution. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the antonyms of blame is exoneration, flattery. And as you listen to these words, they manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit, harmony, health, peace, praise, ratification, recommendation, retreat, sanction, applause, exaltation, thanks. I tell you, listening to that podcast by Lex Friedman, uh, one of the things they talk about that, that is fundamental in their lives is an attitude of thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? As you listen to those podcasts, you'll hear this. But another manifestation of this, this tension, this cognitive dissonance, is complacency. Oh, and you think, well, wait, how can that show that I'm in dissonance? But my friend, it can. It comes across as being nonchalant, casual, having or showing a lack of interest or concern, careless, apathetic, uninterested, unconcerned, detached, stoic, impassive, hard-hearted, and cool. My friend, when we meet someone who this is their present state of being, they are in cognitive dissonance. This is not life in the Spirit. This is not a manifestation of the power of God. It's a detachment, and it's a dissonance, and it's a discord. Antonyms, what would the opposite of complacency look like? Interested, aware, concerned, mindful, conscientious, attentive. In the book of Romans chapter 1, we see how all this fleshes out in the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Ooh, cognitive dissonance. Verse 19, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. There it is, that thanksgiving. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. So here you see the core of the human, the soul, turning internally in order to resolve the cognitive dissonance. Picking up in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So we see as people lock into godlessness and unrighteousness, they unleash a force field of sin state that blocks the truth of God from getting into their core. They lose contact with their creator, but they know God and his demands and ethics exist because it has all been made clear to them through the text of creation. The visible creation is a living, ever-present, active movie portraying God and his ways to the human mind. To achieve the elimination of cognitive dissonance, their hearts, their souls, their core of their humanity goes dark. My friend, it says it right there in the Bible, they go dark. The heart loses contact with the main central server in all creation, God Almighty. The result is idolatry, a replacement of the immortal for the mortal, 
the stuff of earth that dies and suffers corruption. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell us what the impact is to the human mind that goes dark. The person gets immediate relief from living the hypocritical life. Their internal is altered to match their external existence in hopes that the constant internal frequency buzz is eradicated. My friend, that explains what we're seeing happen today in our culture. And you know where this can be extrapolated to. Let me read this again. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell us what the impact is to the human mind that goes dark. The person gets immediate relief from living the hypocritical life. Their internal is altered to match their external existence in hopes that the constant internal frequency buzz is eradicated. But my friend, the consequence of their darkness provokes an undesirable response from God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. My friend, do you see how important it is that we know that we are created in God's image? That man knows that we are created in God's image. The Bible, as I've just read, says he's made himself known. And to exchange that truth for the lie is ultimate devastation. I mean, here we see an amazing small word that's powerful. Paul says, Amen. That means so be it. I agree with it. May it be so. Paul is putting in his perspective with that simple word. The end result of going dark, God gives them what they want. A disconnect from the discord. Wow, this is powerful. Listen to this again. The end result of going dark is that God gives them what they want. A disconnect from the discord into a unity of their inner and outer self, but at a great cost of abandonment by God to the consequences of their chosen sin. My friend, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not trying to be just redundant for redundancy's sake. But I'm telling you, as God spoke to me about all of this, that it really explains what's happening in our culture today. And it really explains to us what will happen to us if we don't repent of our sins and get rid of the dissonance through a repentance to God. Because what it says is the end result of going dark, God gives them what they want, a disconnect from the discord into a unity of their inner and outer self, but at a great cost of abandonment by God to the consequences of their chosen sin. As the title of these next verses say in the Christian Standard Bible, the people go from idolatry to depravity. Now keep in mind the titles are not divinely inspired holy writ of God, but I think it's a great title for this next section, that the people go from idolatry to depravity. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Verse 28, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. 
They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Now, let me stop right here, friend. This is not something that I've written. This list of details is not something I've come up with. I want you to make sure that you understand. I just read to you the Word of God from the book of Romans chapter 1. I would encourage you to take some time when you get the opportunity and read this chapter for yourself. Picking up in verse 32, it says, Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So not only are they taking the aircraft and driving it straight into the ground, they are applauding others who are doing the same. So what starts as a rejection of God turns into idolatry. Then it turns into sexual sin. Then it turns into total sexual depravity and deviancy. Then it turns into all unrighteousness. My friend, all unrighteousness. It doesn't just stop with one type of sin. It proliferates into all unrighteousness. Whether it be heterosexual or homosexual sexual immorality, for the one who has been given over into an unrestrained sexual lifestyle, they are flooded with all unrighteousness. It's impossible to say that, you know, that man is a fine man. He's just really unfaithful when it comes to his marriage. Other than that, he's a good guy. My friend, we must come to a knowledge of the truth and see that if we go against the grain of God's revealed truth and through that disobedience, our minds become conflicted, our souls will become disturbed by our double-mindedness. Once we are in that precarious place, we ourselves, nor God Almighty, will allow us to live in the middle. Again, this bears repeating. Once we are in that precarious place, we ourselves, nor God Almighty, will allow us to live in the middle. All humans and God hate lukewarmness when it comes to living. So, friend, it's not just God that in the book of Revelation says, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. We don't like lukewarmness either. And so, therefore, in our own natural self, we will seek a resolution to the discord that's inside our hearts. We will seek an alleviation of the cognitive dissonance. And at the same time, God will give us over to that relief but apart from him, that relief is eternal condemnation, ultimately, if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if we do know Jesus Christ, he is giving us over to a, a, a disastered mind. All humans and God hate lukewarmness when it comes to living. Like the kid's action song, the grand old Duke of York says, Oh, the grand old Duke of York, he had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill, and he marched them down again. When they were up, they were up, and when they were down, they were down. And when they were only halfway up, they were neither up nor down. Friend, none of us like to be halfway up. You're either up or down. Researchers have found differences in brain activity during a state of cognitive dissonance. Brain scans showed that decisions associated with higher levels of cognitive dissonance elicited a visible electrophysiological signal in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, the area that monitors internal conflicts and mistakes. So, friend, the cognitive dissonance is real, and it's physiological in nature, as well as spiritual, as well as mental, as well as emotional. It's like Will Robinson's robot on the 1960s TV show Lost in Space. When young Will was headed for danger, either by his own actions or some hidden threat, the robot would start sounding off, Warning! Warning, Will Robinson! 
That brain research demonstrates the soul shouting at the mind, warning, warning. The internal mental discomfort, the dissonance, the discordance will seek relief through rationalization of choices made, conversation deflection about certain subjects, concealment of personal beliefs or actions from others, and even choosing to disregard rational physician assessments about ill health behaviors. The sad thing is all the mental gymnastics we go through internally seeking to continue in chosen dissonance perpetuates the conflicting behavior. You can see how unresolved dissonance can lead to self-destruction. When cognitive dissonance goes unaddressed, it can cause fear, dread, apprehension, worry, a sense of foreboding, malaise. Malaise is a robust word. It means an indefinite feeling of debility or lack of health, often indicative or accompanying the onset of an illness. And number two, a vague sense of mental or moral ill-being. Cognitive dissonance can also cause a feeling of distress, disquietude, accusations of hypocrisy, and unease, to name a few things. To use a colloquialism, in a nutshell, the destruction of inner peace. We all know what happens when cognitive dissonance sets into our minds and the internal peace erodes. We become irritable, impaired in decision-making, depressed, anxious, distracted, and unable to focus on what is most important. Left unchecked and uncorrected, we can end up hopeless and even suicidal. A prime example of cognitive dissonance in relationships occurs when infidelity happens. Despite the deep-seated belief that cheating is hurtful and wrong, often the person cheating justifies or diminishes the behavior to relieve discomfort, to attempt to eliminate cognitive dissonance. Washington Post published an article titled The Sins of the Singer by Alona Wartowski. January 5th, 1997. The subtitle, Michael English Has Fallen from Grace. Quote, just a few years ago, he was a glittering star of contemporary Christian music. English swept the 1994 Dove Awards, Christian Pop's equivalent of the Grammys. He took home six trophies that April night, including Artist of the Year. Less than a week later, he announced he was withdrawing from Christian music. English, who was married, had been violating the Seventh Commandment with another Christian artist, Marybeth Jordan. She too was married and pregnant with English's child. Overnight, English went from prince to pariah. His contract with his record label, Warner Alliance, dissolved. Christian music stores removed his albums from their bins and radio stations expelled him from their playlists, end quote. After the truth came out about his hypocritical lifestyle, choices, and actions and results, he later described the terrible trouble he would encounter being on stage singing his songs of devotion while having an affair on the road while he was apart from his wife. The guilt, the thoughts of condemnation, the sweaty palms, the increased heart rate. At the time he was playing the part of the hypocrite, he would publicly talk about it as a case of stage fright. My friend, it was cognitive dissonance. Michael was doing something in his actions that were against his inner man, his soul, and he paid a heavy price. And my friend, this is not to condemn Michael English. God forgives and can forgive anyone of a committed sin. I'm using this as a specific illustration of a perfect example of someone who confesses that while they were standing on the stage singing about Jesus and knowing they were going back to the hotel room to have an affair with someone, not their wife, that he was in conflict and it came out through these stage fright episodes. Just recently, a super successful country star went through a major collapse that mirrored English in many ways. 
Garth Brooks openly talks about a similar story. One night while on stage in concert, he broke down in front of the audience and confessed to his audience that he had been living the part of a hypocrite. He was singing songs that had been written with his wife Sandy in mind, like If Tomorrow Never Comes, where he sings, Will She Know How Much I Love Her, while at that moment involved in an extramarital affair. That night, he also revealed that his band had been living wrong, and he said that he was going to put a stop to it, that they were going to make a change. Now, sadly, the way Garth resolved the cognitive dissonance was to divorce Sandy and marry the woman with whom he had been having the affair. My friend, God wants better solutions for you and I as we seek to resolve the internal discords of the mind, the heart, the soul. The good news for the person who is a child of God, God will not leave you in cognitive dissonance. The harshest scenario of an internal compass correction and recalibration brought about by God is seen in the life of King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, then sought to cover his guilt of immorality and adultery against his faithful soldier Uriah the Hittite by having him placed on the front line during a heavy battle to ensure Uriah would be killed. It was murder by proxy. Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12 tells the story. God sent the prophet Nathan to call out David and put him on notice that God saw and that God would chasten David for his adultery, murder, and cover-up. The child that was conceived from his sexual encounter with Bathsheba would die. My friend, that is hard correction at the hands of our loving God. It's not the way he wants to go with things, but he will out of love for us if he has to. We really don't want to make him have to. My friend, the biblical model for repentance of the sin of hypocrisy, that cognitive dissonance of the moral code of your core, here's what we can do. Recognize our sin. Feel sorry for our sin. Forsake our sin. Confess our sin. Make restitution for our sin. Forgive others if we're holding a grudge and keep the commandments of God. The Bible also teaches that God will forgive us if we genuinely repent. The parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35 teaches that a person who repents should also be prepared to forgive others. My friend, hypocrisy is a mortal sin. However, even hypocrites can repent and be forgiven. Acts chapter 8 verse 22 says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Friend, Jesus wants us to live in the peace that he gives us every moment of every day. We do not have to live in cognitive dissonance. We can stop the internal buzz that seeks to render us ineffective for his kingdom service. God has destined us all to be overcomers through Jesus. The choice to enter into his peace and rest daily is left up to us. That is the way he's made us. The ball is in our court. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.